0: Hey, welcome to Kessit. How are you? My name is Danny, and I'm so excited that you're here. Thanks for coming. We're in a series right now called Jesus Don't Care. And uh, I don't know if you put it together yet, but uh, stuff like base, Jesus doesn't care about it. If you have too much, too little, he don't, he don't care. So uh, <laughs> so we just continue to, to build it, especially during the 11 o'clock service. Uh, I finally did tell the 9 o'clockers that uh, I've been telling everybody they want more, and they did cheer. So uh, we're just going to keep going until we break something. That's, a, that's how that works. Uh, I, again, thank you so much for being here. There's a lot of great churches in town, and I know it's, uh, it's not always easy to, uh, to show up, especially in person. So for those of you that took the time, that's great. Thank you for those who are streaming. Welcome. Excited that you're here with us. Um, this series has, has been a lot of fun, and today we're, gonna, we're actually going to... Kind of shift it into a four low, if you will, and take this concept of Jesus not caring about certain things and apply it to a really well known story. Because we can come up with all sorts of creative ways to unpack how God wants us to live and to unpack how we can engage better with His Word and with His Spirit. But unless you can do it with the actual stories of the Bible, then it's just clever. And it's supposed to actually be clear, it's supposed to make sense. So we're going to today take the story of Jonah, and we're going to unpack all the different things inside the story that Jonah cares about that God doesn't. Now, for this to work really, really well, you have to allow yourself to evaluate the things in your life that you care about that maybe God doesn't. And some of those things might actually be, uh, you know, not evil. They, they might actually be uh, decent. They might actually be quality. They might actually be things that are tradition for you and important to you. But the idea of the series is to look at what Jesus cares about, not what's important to you. It's to look at what God wants for your life, not what you want for your life that's not hurting you. And as Christians, especially those of us who consider ourselves Christ followers, that's where it can get a little bit muddy because we have all these things that have been passed down to us, whether it be by the church generationally before us or by our parents, or maybe it's just a a lifestyle that we've created. And we have these things that we think are important But it doesn't necessarily mean God cares about them, and so we have to decide how do we accomplish the thing God cares about if we're also accomplishing the things we feel are important, and who wins. And that's sort of what the story we're going to read is about. Now, we have a lot of spiritually curious people, so although I would guess that most of us know the story of Jonah, uh, it's very similar to the story of Pinocchio. Uh, This uh, man goes on a little journey and he ends up getting swallowed and then he has a prayer And then he gets thrown up and you kind of know the rough idea But instead I want to unpack it in the light of these things that jesus or god doesn't care about So let me just give us kind of a kind of an overview Uh, Jonah was one of the earliest prophets. He falls in the timeline right after right before elisha Uh, His story is told in a small 48 verse book named after himself jonah so if you have a bible you can turn there if not i'm going to put the verses on the screen or you can look them up on your phone the whole story starts with jonah who is a prophet of god meaning god talks to jonah and gives him insight to share to the people the nation of israel the hebrew people that he has set aside so out of the whole world the people of israel have been set aside to be special for god god then gives them prophets and judges to come in and share what it is he wants them to do. Jonah is one of these renowned and powerful prophets. He knows God, he has connection with God, and people respect him for that. Now Israel at the time has all kinds of enemies around it. And God comes to Jonah and he says to him, I want you to go to the Ninevites, a people group who are an enemy of Israel, and I want you to warn them that I am going to destroy them 40 days from when you get there. And Jonah hears this, and he thinks about it. He knows the Ninevites, he knows them for all kinds of different reasons. These are a pagan people, and I'll give you this word for pagan. Pagans are people who live opposed to the ways of God. Some of us in this room are absolutely pagans. And for sure, a lot of us work with pagans, and I would also say this, many of us in this room, I'll even say all of us in this room, have pagan aspects to our lifestyles. Places in our lives, that we live opposed to how God lives. But Jonah is like, he's like the Hebrew of Hebrews, and he certainly doesn't see himself as pagan at all. And so he thinks about it, and he decides that he wants nothing to do with these people, because these people will not worship God, they will not repent, and they do not deserve to hear from God at all, and so he decides he's not gonna do it. And when it comes to those people, he's right. This is one of the first circumstances that he's absolutely right about. So he gets on a ship bound for Tarshish and goes in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he gets on the ship and he decides he's going to live his life doing something completely different than what God has for him to do. So you don't have to raise your hand, but there's a bunch of people in this room who God has called you to do something, and you're going in the opposite direction. You're not just like thinking about it, you're not just wrestling, you're not just ignoring, you actually boarded a ship in your life and went the opposite direction. And you're doing it because you know that God has this thing for you, but you've decided, nope, not gonna do it. Now, that's fine, long as you know you're on the ship, that's important. Some of you don't know you're on the ship, maybe you're at port because you're still pondering whether or not you're gonna get on the ship you're still thinking about whether you want to do this thing that God has for you. But uh, either way, there's a whole bunch of us in the room that relate right here to Jonah. So let's talk about what God does when people do that sort of thing to him. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea of the ship that Jonah was on. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, I'm gonna unpack this portion of the verse real quick. The captain says to him in all his angst and fear, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. You know how you have like, Edited versions of songs you have like the clean version of a song and then you have like the real version of the song I feel like if there was ever an edited verse. It would be this last part right here where this pagan Seafaring captain is trying to save himself and his men sees Jonah asleep Casually at the bottom boat of the boat and then comes down and says What do you mean you sleeper? Like I feel like the author heard the real version of the story and it was full of expletives and he was like, yeah, there's going to be kids that read about this and songs written. So what, do you, what did the captain say? He said, hey, Jonah, you boop, 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 shaking, all kinds of terrible things. This is a pagan man. It just said this. And, he, and he's like, we're just going to say, what do you mean, you sleeper? <laughs> I, think, I think it's just a really interesting passage. And it just doesn't display the kind of angst this man was feeling. But either way, it worked. Jonah awakens and he goes up to the top of the ship i want to just pause for just a second and i want to talk to anybody who has ever uh ran away from god and been awakened or maybe you are as i said on the ship and you're about to be awakened uh, about, about i've done vocational ministry now for 22 years i've been doing it uh, a majority of my adult working life and when aaron and i my wife were about nine years into ministry uh everything about the ministry we were doing and the marriage we had and the life we had was just a, just a mess. And she ends up coming to me and she said, you know, I feel like this ministry that we're a part of is actually hurting us. And she sort of gave me a very loving ultimatum that I either worked my stuff out or she was going to work it out for me. Anybody ever been in one of those conversations with their spouses? And uh, so I decided to, to listen But I didn't really know what to do because I was too well known in this town at the time to just quit and go do something else I had been pastoring here nine ten years at the time at a large church And so I thought you know this must be the voice of God But I feel like what God's asking me to do is like get into therapy and start asking questions about my heart And maybe work on some stuff in my marriage, but that seems way too hard So instead, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna run away And so I in a very dramatic Danny fashion bought a map of the world and I opened up a map of the world on this, on this table that we had, and I looked at the whole world, and I said, I'm going to move to New Zealand. I knew no one in New Zealand. I've never been to New Zealand at that time. I just decided it was the farthest place away from Vancouver I could get. It was, it was my Tarshish. So we put our house on the market, sold all of our cars, pulled our kids out of school. I went two weeks ahead of Aaron with a backpack, and I landed in Auckland. running from God up and down North and South Island of New Zealand until I found a job with a church. I wasn't even looking for that. Isn't that funny how God does this thing? So I thought, okay, God's still with me, called my wife and children over, we came over, and I spent nine months running from God in New Zealand until the last three months, it was a total year I was there, I suddenly realized that all the problems I had ran from here in my home state, and home city, just came with me to New Zealand. I had the same marriage, I had the same broken church structure. I had the same view of life. I had the same view of God, and I had the same view of Danny, and I sat there on a beach at midnight about nine months into my running from God all by myself, and I cried, and I knew that I was supposed to come home, not because it would be easy, but because it would be not running. Out of that, once I landed back here, which was pretty humbling. God sort of started revealing this idea of a church full of other people who are good at running, people like you, and that maybe we should create a space for people to come and ask questions about their running and be honest about it, and that's where Kesed came from. So if you're a runner, welcome to your church. Um, (laughs) This was all made just for you so that you could sit in all your choices and all your stories And all the things you think you know about you and you think you know about God and you think you know about the world. And you can sit in this room, I hope, or watch this service and you can experience what it means to sit with the Holy Spirit and let him catch you. Jonah was caught. He gets drug up on the the deck with the captain with the grade school level uh, frustration. Jonah, look at these big waves. I think you might harm us. Something's going on. The rest of us are doing everything we can, but you're not. And Jonah says, you're right. He says, it's my fault. And he's right. It is his fault. He says, what I think I think you should do is I think that you should respond by throwing me overboard because this God that is after me has a purpose for me. And it might be my death in these waves, but he is chasing me for certain. Isaiah 46.9 talks about this God, this God that uh, fulfills his purpose no matter the obstacle, even in us runners. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, even with those of you who are quick on your feet. God rolls over the ship with a storm over and over and over and Jonah finally awakens to the truth that he has been sharing, which is that the Almighty is following him. I don't know who in this room uh, is, knows they're being followed by the Almighty, but I just want you to know he will catch you eventually. He's like really good at it. So you can either stop like Jonah does on the deck of the ship, turn and face the waves, or you can keep trying to pretend. There was nothing left for Jonah to do but confess that he has been running and ask them to throw him overboard. And he was right. That's the right thing to do. And so they did this. And it says a huge fish sent by God, not a whale as commonly supposed, promptly swallowed him up. Uh, I just want to, just for a second, I want to give just a little bit of a, a soapbox to those in the room, my scientists, scientifically minded Friends in the room Uh, i've had a lot of people try to explain this story and i had because it doesn't say whale it says fish and they're like listen man fish don't breathe air and there's no way it could be you know a fish and maybe the bible's wrong and and i'm like oh but you can go inside a whale and live for like three days and then we get into this thing of like and then i had one guy say listen there was this creature there was a creature that doesn't exist anymore designed just for jonah like a jonah fish and I was like, okay, and he's like, and that creature had like, a, like an area in its body that was like full of air, right? And I'm like, and did it have, you know, like a writing desk and a table for Jonah to pen his prayers? Like what, I have a hard time with this stuff. So here's what I want to say. Whether you think this is literal and it's a, the miracle of God, which very well could be, or it's allegory and a beautiful poem of what happens when we spiritually and emotionally run from God, I don't care. It doesn't make any difference to me Or Really it shouldn't to you whether it's literal or allegory. It's the word of God being used to display a picture and of course God could cause Jonah to just breathe water by the way Why does it have to especially be a Jonah fish? Why can't he just breathe water or maybe there's a lot of people who believed he actually just died and then God brought him back I don't know. I don't care. He could have rode around on the whale like a whale horse for all I care for three days I don't care that's not what's important. What's important is that you sit within the story, not try to break it down and make it fit inside your mind. This is like God's stuff, not your stuff. And if you want to write scripture, then create your own religion and put a book together. I just, this is something that God has given us to unpack. And I think sometimes we get stuck on the, all the different nuances instead of the overarching theme, which is that Jonah got swallowed by something. Just like we get swallowed by stuff, When we allow our lives to get thrown overboard, whether it be addictions, whether it be habits, whether it be pride, whether it be money, everybody in this room knows what it's like to be swallowed by something that takes control of their story. Everybody. And that's what's happening here. So, Jonah gets swallowed. Oh, and it's important to point out that all the sailors, when they saw this, all came to God and had faith. Because God doesn't waste opportunities. He doesn't waste any opportunities, so they throw him overboard, the winds go calm, the fish comes up, and they're like, well, that sucks for him, but you know what? There is a God, right? It's like, <laughs> and they sang their worship songs all the way back to the port, and we're like, man, that's, that stinks for Jonah, but you know, we're alive, we're alive. So that part is amazing that God did that, but Jonah is left in the bottom, at the bottom of the ocean in this fish, It's at this point that Jonah now found himself in a situation worse than anything he could have imagined. Worse than going all the way to Nineveh would be being swallowed by a fish. Those are worse circumstances. So just maybe quick lesson. When God asks you to go do something, maybe the thing you're afraid to do won't be worse than the thing you find yourself doing three days later when you decide to avoid the things of God. Jonah is that person. He's all of us. He's in this dark place, but suddenly within this place, Jonah realizes that God is with him. I'll put it on the screen, wherever he ends up in obedience or disobedience, wherever he ends up in obedience or disobedience, God is with him. This to me is one of the earliest markers of Christian maturity. When you have that final realization that disobedience and darkness aren't places God isn't. We need to stop teaching people that when they live in the light, they're with God. And when they live in the dark, they are not with God. And we use verses like this to teach this stuff. Okay? Uh, 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, this is beautiful. This is important. Within God, there is no darkness. He is light. He is love. He is those things. To be with him is to be in the light but that does not mean that God is not in the darkness. That does not mean God is not in the disobedience. For instance, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God was there. In the darkness, he was present. This means, God being without darkness doesn't mean darkness is without God. And so if you struggle, if you disobey, if you are addicted, if you are spinning, if your life is this close, like thin as a hair, hard as a diamond separation between being with God and being against God, just know it's not as if being against God means God's not with you. I just had someone recently tell me about someone else that I love deeply who's like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so, and I go, no, what? And they go, yeah, he decided he doesn't believe in God anymore. He's proclaiming it to everybody. And I go, oh. And they go, what do you think about that? And I go, well, it doesn't change anything about God. You can say there is no God. It changes nothing about God. Just like you can say there is no Danny. It doesn't really change much about me. You can say whatever you want to say, but God can still be in your doubt, in your disobedience, in your proclamation of his non-existence. God's like, I can work with that. Did you hear so-and-so's against God? God's like, I can work with that. Like, hashtag, I can work with that should be like at the bottom of God's email. That's his thing. Whatever you throw at him, whatever. Throw me overboard for I am disobedient. God's like, cool, here's a Jonah fish. (laughs) Just whatever. It's God working with your stuff that you need to realize is so important. And as a Christian, when you disobey, that's where repentance comes in. Because you are inside that dark place, but you are still proclaiming that God is there as well. When you sense around you nothing but darkness, God is there as well. For Jonah, this place that he finds himself, in this fish, the bottom of the ocean, results in a beautiful prayer of faith and a little bit of spiritual pride at the same time. Because let's be honest, nobody generally fully does the 180 they're supposed to. We all do just a version of it. This is a very human, human version of repentance. Most of the time we preach about repentance, it's like you're going along and you're doing something against God and then God does something, you're like, you're right, God, I'm gonna turn all the way around and go the other way. When most of the time it's like going along, you're right, God, it's gonna go this way. (laughs) And then he's like, like, okay, I'm gonna go back this way. And then he's like, it's like trying to stop a two-year-old from getting to a Christmas present, right? You're just really sort of renegotiating them around the best you can. This is what Jonah does when he repents. And he throws up this prayer. And it is such a punk's prayer. And the reason for that is because Jonah's a punk. That's why. That's, this is just an absolute, this is an absolute punk's prayer. Listen to this prayer. This is so self-righteous and so smug. He's like this. He's quiet. He's in the fish. Nothing but sounds of whatever sounds fish make. Whales make noise, but fish just, we don't know. But there's sounds. Jonah's in the darkness and he's like, I i'm really not in a very good place you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna throw up a prayer to god and he says those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love but i with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what i have vowed i will pay for salvation belongs to the lord now he's right salvation does belong to the lord and he's right that right now, what he vows, he will pay. The thing that got him here was not vowing what he would pay, getting on a ship, and then falling asleep, and then being the source of other people's danger, and not vowing to do the thing, and suddenly, from a fish, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna do what God wants me to do. (laughs) Yeah, bro, because you're in a fish! Of course you're gonna do what God wants you to do. And now you're gonna make it like it's your idea? Like, you know what? I think I'll go ahead and head over to Nineveh and do this thing that God asked me to do. I will hold strong to you, Lord. And the Lord's like, that's a great idea. But here's the thing about people that take the fish route to Nineveh instead of just getting on a boat and doing what God said. They never get there in style. And Jonah didn't either. For it says that next thing you know, three days later, the fish vomited him up on the shore. Now, I know a lot of obedient Christians I'm going to be authentic with you that that is something that I have wrestled with much of my life is what does it mean to be obedient? I can tell you God still uses my disobedience, but the difference between me being disobedient and obedient is the smell of me as I'm journeying the way there. The obedient Danny is still frustrated, fairly angry, and often self-righteous, but I'm on a ship with food and sailors at a port. The disobedient Danny reeks like vomit covered in slime soaking wet super angry and just kind of frustrated that i'm in the same place that obedient danny got to and could have been at even a few days earlier so i don't know who uh in here is a vomit christian you know who you are like you got here today and you reek of vomit and you're like i'm in church though at least you're like yeah bro because your life's been swallowed by a fish but god will take it because hashtag god can work with that He'll take you just how you are. This is all kinds of us in the room and all kinds of importance that we note. And then once again, in the midst of of Jonah picking vomit out of his hair and everything else, God comes back with the exact same opening line he started with. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. I love that God isn't condescending. I love that he's not, like, more gentle. I love that he's not being a disciplinarian. It's just the same words to the same guy with the same tone. Do what I said. Do what I said. Do what I said. We throw tantrums and flip around and spin around, and God's like, "Mm mm-hmm, do what I said. (laughs) Do what I said. Do what I said. I don't know who that's for in here, but some of you, you just need to do what he says. Or just get comfortable in that fish belly. (laughs) At this point, there's no arguing from Jonah. Who though, although based on his prayer on the inside is still pretty frustrated, he decides to actually obey. Because who knows what's going to happen to him next. So he goes in to Nineveh. He arrives there, and then he strides vengefully through the city, announcing doom and destruction on the people in 40 days because of their wickedness and their arrogance of the Lord and his ways. He walks in and says, you're going to die, and you're going to die, and you're going to die. And I think that every day that he gets there, he's enjoying himself even more. And you're going to die. You're going to die. You and your family, dead. You know he had to get food, too. He's like, could I have some soup, please? Mm, I love it. By the way, dead in 25 days. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> can, I have a, can I have a latte, please? Oh, this is great. I heard great things about Nineveh's coffee. Too bad it's going to all be gone in three days. Cheers. You're going to die. You're going to die. Over and over and over he does this. Until finally the 40 days are up. And he leaves the city. And he goes up onto a hill. And he builds himself a booth. Jonah 4, 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Grabbed a couple boards, grabbed some rope, and whistling to himself, people going to die today, people going to die today. Enemies of God are going to die today. Got my booth ready. Man, this is great. Ah, okay, the sun's going down. Okay, it's going to be the end of the, uh, this morning, this 41st morning. We're going to get ourselves some fireworks. And he sat there and he waited for everything he said that would happen to happen. And do you know what happened on the 41st day? Absolutely nothing. And Jonah listens, and he listens, and suddenly he heard people repenting, and suddenly he heard people worshiping. I guarantee you, if that city, which it says that city repented, every single person, it says they even covered their animals in ceremonial sackcloth, a sign of great repentance for the doom and the brokenness in their own lives. They believed in the one God, like those sailors. Once again, Jonah had an impact on them. And suddenly, can you imagine thinking everybody that you love, everything you've built, everything you are, your whole city is going to die. Can you imagine that morning? What that would be like, what that would sound like as those people came out of their houses looking at each other, looking up into the sky, realizing they weren't going to die. And Jonah's up on the hill. It reminds me of the story of the Grinch when he stole everybody's Christmas presents. And then he goes up on the hill and he's waiting for them all to wake up to see they have no Christmas presents. And they come out and they're sad, but they're, they're alive and the spirit of Christmas comes in and all of a sudden they're like, ba do do Welcome, Christmas. Right? They're all around the tree, right? This is what's happening in Nineveh. And Jonah is up on the hill, like, what? And they're praising and they are worshiping because they're saved. This isn't even extra biblical. When people get saved, they cheer, they celebrate. And certainly, if an entire city repented, they would worship. And Jonah's in his booth of destruction <laughs> with whatever snacks he brought so angry that the whole nation that the whole city that he just deemed should die didn't die four one through two but it displeased jonah exceedingly and he was angry and this jonah's heart breaks open and he shares what we haven't known the first three chapters of why he never wanted to go to nineveh in the first place listen to what he said and he prayed to the lord and said oh lord Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Don't miss this. This man is raging that God is exactly who he knew him to be. This man is furious that God was merciful and just, And warm and kind. And he knew, Jonah says, that if these people he preached this message to repented, that God would spare them. And Jonah couldn't stand this about God. And he's right. How infuriating for Jonah to be right over and over and over again. Now, there are several real world reasons for Jonah's desire to see Nineveh destroyed. First is political reasons. Okay, these people are the enemy of his nation. They are dangerous. Their culture is dangerous. How they believe is dangerous. How they behave is dangerous. And he's right. These people being destroyed is only good for the people of Israel. This city, Nineveh, is the capital of Assyria, and they are ruthless and they are warlike. Nineveh's destruction would have been seen as a great victory. Second, he has justice reasons. Jonah probably wanted to see Nineveh's downfall to satisfy his own sense of justice. After all, he's part of the chosen people. That means when you're chosen, there are other people who are not chosen. That means if you see the world that way, those of us inside the walls of the church are in and everybody else is out. Therefore, our lives should be better and their lives should be worse. And lastly, in this, Jonah understands and experiences his own personal reasons god's withholding of judgment of nineveh could have made jonah's word appear illegitimate he is a prophet of god when he speaks on behalf of god what he says should happen should happen and now jonah said they were going to be destroyed in 40 days and he is utterly humiliated that their destruction didn't come and so while they're worshiping god there may have been a few who were like what was that guy talking about and he couldn't handle that I relate a lot to that one because as a pastor I want to be able to stand up here and tell you guys things that I feel led or things I've studied or beliefs I have and it's really really hard when God doesn't like fully do what I want him to and when I'm like okay this is what I'm feeling led, this is what we've prayed about, this is where we're going and then God's like cool, that was good for like two steps and now we're going to take a right turn and I'm like oh no, but that doesn't make me look very wise. (laughs) And I'm like, God, I, I need to have answers. And God's like, I am the answer. And I want to remind you, Danny, of that sometimes, which is why sometimes um, the hardest thing to do is teach people through your fail- failures and through the things that you're mistaken over. Jonah's right about all these things. And he's seething and he's angry. Now, somewhere along the way, I believe Jonah throws a tantrum. I believe he throws a tantrum because the booth that he built himself to shade himself is suddenly gone. I think he stands up and he starts kicking stuff and he starts throwing stuff and he's just all kinds of upset at the worship that's happening down below by the people who were saved because it says that then God grew a leafy gourd, a wide leaf plant over Jonah to shade him. It's almost almost like God was like, oh, you seem like you're a little bit hot. Like, why don't you just calm down a little bit? Why don't you just cool down a little bit? So in the midst of his now destructed, destruction booth, he sits and this plant comes over and shades him and Jonah's like, okay, God, okay, God, you know, that feels good, that feels good. I'm not in the sun anymore. I probably shouldn't have ruined my destruction booth, I messed up all my snacks, <laughs> but at least I have this, this beautiful blessing from you of shade. And then right about then, like when you give candy to a kid and then as if you were to tie string to it, God just kills the plant. This is a true story. Jonah's like ah okay God you're still with me and then God's like and shrivel <laughs> and the plant just dies right next to Jonah I think it sort of lands on his face I think that'd be really fun and Jonah's like what happened to God and Jonah just loses his mind again and this is when it really happens this is when God really dialogues with Jonah God replies to Jonah's bitter complaints about the plant because Jonah goes on and on and on about the plant And he replies to his bitter complaints about this plant is that if Jonah can have so much compassion on himself for his loss of comfort, despite being aware of what a faulty child of God he is, in other words, Jonah now knows I'm disobedient, I'm rebellious, I'm all these things, I don't deserve this plant, and then you took it away and now I'm angry, God then says, how much more compassion should I have upon this entire city that didn't even know I existed 40 days ago? And there's this question And then you're waiting for an answer and then you're maybe waiting for Jonah to repent and then you're waiting for like the fifth chapter of Jonah to take off where it shares more things God and Jonah did and it doesn't end that way. It just ends with Jonah seething, with God prodding, and the people of Nineveh below worshiping. It doesn't even resolve. It's like a great human uh, experience with God spiritually all wrapped up on this hillside And it's gifted to you and to me to ask questions about where in our life are we, these people. Jesus himself is the one, I think, who helps us understand why the story ends that way. Matthew 12, 40 says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, in so many ways, we are all the people of Nineveh, and Jesus is our vastly new and improved Jonah. Jonah. His story parallels Jonah's in a, in a way that's just undeniable. For instance, where Jonah disobeys his calling to reach the lost and runs away, Jesus is called to reach the lost and runs toward us. Where Jonah is asleep during a storm, awakened, and then thrown overboard and overtaken, Jesus is asleep during a storm, awakened, and then demonstrates his might over all creation by calming it and overtaking it. Where Jonah's disobedience lands him in a fish for three days, Jesus' obedience leads him to death and to the heart of the earth for three days. Where Jonah returned from the edge of death, Jesus, who is greater than Jonah, returned from actual death, defeating it. Where Jonah's sudden appearance at Nineveh was for the salvation of a lost city, Jesus' sudden appearance to us was for the salvation of the world. But none of those beautiful contrasts measures up to the last harder to see one. Where Jonah was often, and in this story, almost always right, Jesus instead was always good. See, Jonah's right in this story from beginning to end. He's right about the God he serves. He's right about what the people deserve. He's right about what would happen to the sailors if they threw him overboard. He's right about God saving him from the fish. He's right about the destruction that would have come if they wouldn't have repented. He's right about God's just mercy that shows itself upon the city. And he's right about the God that covers him with the shade and loves him, but also loves him enough to uncover him and discipline him and expose him to the hardened heart that he has. He's right and right And right and right. Jesus is almost completely opposite. Jesus walks around where people try to pin him to what is right and what is law and what this means and what that means. For instance, the easiest one to understand regarding Jesus is when they ask him, is it okay to work on the Sabbath? The question is about whether it's right or wrong. Jesus changes the conversation and says, "Eh, well, is it good? Is it good? You can fast forward later when Paul is talking to people, teaching them about the words of Jesus, and someone says, is it right to eat meat that has been offered to idols? And Paul moves the conversation from right and wrong and asks instead, who does it affect? Is it good? So when you have neighbors that are pagans, is it right to hang out with them? I don't know. Is it good? Probably. When you have things inside your life that that don't harm you, but... That are part of your religious system. Take God out of it. Religion can be anything. You could be religious about the way you you work. You could be religious about the way you raise your kids. And they can be all right things. And not so good. We can build. I was doing ministry for 10 years. Leading people to Jesus left and right. And it was right. There were a thousand kids in this youth group. And yet for three solid years I barely saw my own. Was it right what I was doing? Sure, because leading people to Jesus is my anointing, it's my calling, it's what I do, but it wasn't good. I don't know what you're doing in your life that's right. Maybe it's you're working too much. Maybe you think it's right because you're building kingdom for the next thing or maybe, maybe it's you're investing in things that you think are important, but is it good? Will the people in your life know you and your struggles and your story? Because you've covered all of it up with rightness. When vulnerability states the, the, the most good thing you can do is be authentic about the areas you struggle in. Jonah's story and so many others teach us this one simple truth. And I hope you take it away with, a, with great compassion that I share it. But Jesus just doesn't care if you're right. He just doesn't care. It's like, it's like base to him. You can be too loud, you can be too quiet. He cares that you're doing what's good, that you're worshiping, that you're proclaiming his name, that you're taking every opportunity to bring him glory and some of those stories within your life that you're not sharing. If you live your life between right and wrong, and black and white, and yes and no, then you might just be avoiding the conversation of the deeper good. And the deeper good doesn't often call people out on their transgressions, but instead calls them into repentance and relationship. The deeper good doesn't hope for people to experience our justifiable justice, but calls on them to receive undeserved grace like we have. I am so, so glad that Jesus Christ, when he looks at me, doesn't do the right thing, and instead does the good thing. Because what I deserve is destruction, what I deserve is condemnation. What I deserve is judgment. But what I get is love and grace and compassion and encouragement and discipline and conviction. These are good things. So I don't know who you're holding to the right side. Maybe it's your children that don't live the lifestyle you want. Maybe it's, maybe it's me. Maybe it's your local church. Maybe it's somebody else. I don't know. Maybe it's yourself. But what i do know is that when you are filled to the brim with the holy spirit and when you can step out of your own destruction booth of hoping everybody around you receives what they deserve and stop complaining about the plant that god took away in order to expose the stuff in your life that isn't right then maybe you can experience the goodness of our god and people will see that in your eyes and in your hands and in your time and in your pocketbook And you will become a child of God that sits in the presence of their Father and just knows that He is good and that He loves you as you are. I want to create a space for you to sit in that. So I'm going to have you close your eyes. I'm going to ask that you allow whatever uh, maybe angst you're feeling, frustration, swirling. Maybe it's compassion. Maybe it's love, whatever you're feeling, that you would just let that sort of be present, that you would be present with your emotions, that you would allow this narrative to be about you and about your walk with the Lord. I'm going to ask that you, that just from that space, you just proclaim inside yourself, God, you are good. And I need to be with you. Lord, I ask that everyone in this room would be able to experience that goodness, that compassion, that trust, that wherever they are, whether they're up on a hill watching others or they're down in Nineveh or they're sailing a ship or they're in the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish, wherever they are, God, that they would experience the goodness of your calling and the goodness of your awakening and the goodness of your love. We are so grateful that we can worship from that place We want to care about what you care about, Lord. We want to love what you love. So we just lift this time of pondering up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Call Us and we'll sing this together. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mm -hmm. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up. Coming after me, there's no wall you won't kick down. coming out to me There's no one Down, Lie, you won't tear down Coming after me Come on, every voice One more time, we sing There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie, you won't tear down Coming after me God, we thank you for that no matter where we go, no matter how we stray, you're always chasing us down. The fact that you would leave the 99 and go find the lost, let that overwhelm us as we go from this place. We fix our eyes on you. We magnify you above all things. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you next time.